Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. Do me a favor and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Put a marker there and then turn back to Acts chapter 15. So Matthew chapter 5, put a mark there and then turn over to Acts chapter 15. We're going to be continuing on in our study of understanding the book of Acts. And uh, my goal, just so you guys know, my goal is to finish this up the week before 4th of July. So I don't have a ton of time, so we're going to be kind of screaming through some of this. And the reason is 4th of July weekend, hallelujah, the Eastmans are going to be here again. Yes. If you've never met John and Andrew Eastman... uh, and Kathy, uh, they're an unbelievable family. They couldn't come up last year for obvious reasons, <clears throat> so they will be up. Um, John will be here Saturday night, and then Andrew will be here Sunday, and they'll both be here Sunday morning. Um, it's a great time. Andrew is a phenomenal uh, man of God. So is John. Uh, Andrew is an amazing prophet. If you've never, if you've never been there and experienced that, is really, really is a fantastic time. Um, so that's going to be happening then, and just so that you are aware, we are going to be doing a special offering for them that day. So that's going to be the 3rd and 4th of July. Um, so that's going to be going on then uh, to help support their ministry, because they come up here from Louisiana, and they spend the entire summer up in the North Country traveling around ministering. And that's awesome. It's also expensive, so we want to make sure we, we help with that. So that's happening there, and then I'm going on sabbatical immediately the next day. Um, last year, I was supposed to have a sabbatical. It's like no matter what I do, <laughs> every single time this, 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 this tends to happen. So COVID hit a couple of weeks into it, so had to had to come back to help take care of some things. So basically this summer, I'm going to try to get the rest of that done. Um, that's some good, it's some good time off, time for me to recharge, recharge and that's going to be... Um, that's going to be the, uh, the most of July and uh, the first week of August. We've got some good guest speakers coming in. Um, <laughs> some coming in, some coming from within. It'll be, uh, it, it should be a good time while I'm, uh, while I'm away. Uh, and then we're going to be coming back to a new series after that. Uh, so I need to kind of jump through this here. So we're in part 11 of this today, and the title today is Salvation, Legalism, and the Law. And uh, I want to be talking about specifically this idea of legalism. Uh, so there are a lot of definitions of this idea of legalism, and legalism has been with Christianity, has been part of Christianity, has been a plague on Christianity from the very beginning. Even long before Christ, legalism was within the people of God. It's always been there. It will always be with us. And one of our challenges today is to find out how to spot it and how to deal with it in a godly way. Now, there's a lot of competing definitions uh, for legalism, whenever I'm trying to define a word, if it's a Greek and Hebrew word, I'm going to go back to the Greek and Hebrew. If it's an English word, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to use the dictionary because um, that's the way the word is supposed to be used. So legalism on its own means an excessive adherence to law or formula, an excessive adherence to law or formula. So in this case, legalism in the church tends to manifest itself. I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, but legalism in the church tends to manifest itself in the most horrible ways possible. We are terrible when it comes to legalism in the church. It it creates so much division, and everyone on on each side thinks they're right. (laughs) I've never met a legalist who thinks they're wrong. They all think they're right, and they think they're a legalist for your benefit. 
I know I'm telling you that you have to adjust your life to fit my personal views, because if you don't, you're going to go to hell, and I really don't want that. So I'm doing this. I'm making you feel bad about who you are and what you do for your own good. Thanks. No thanks. People say that we don't want to just say that you should do fill in the blank. There's this element of Christianity as you begin to learn how to walk in the word of God. There is a reality of you should walk in this way. That's just a reality. But legalists say not only should you, if you don't, you're not even a Christian. And they start to add these things in to salvation. I call it the Jesus plus doctrine. There's Jesus, but then you need a little bit more. See, there was stuff that Jesus didn't tell you while he was here on earth, and I'm here to help you understand what those things are. You see, God incarnate made a couple of mistakes, some typos, when the Holy Spirit was trying to, you know, get people the word, and I'm here to fill in those blanks for you. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I can't spell, okay? Just, just to put that, you know, really, really simply. Um, spell check is my best friend. And whenever I type something out, doesn't matter how careful I am, almost every week, my faithful friend Abel lets me know that I've used a word wrong. And I always tell him the same thing, there, there, there. Okay. I remember at the old building, I had a slide up, I was really proud of myself, and it was talking about something like pasture, pastor duties, but I spelled pasture. I don't know why Keynote can't pick that up, but I felt very betrayed by spell check. But I did, in the message, I do remember pointing out that I spelled the word correctly. It was just the wrong word, okay? Today you find legalism in a lot of different ways. In the church, you can find people who will tell you that if you condemn same-sex marriage, you're not a Christian. And you'll find people say, if you accept same-sex marriage, you're not a Christian. By the way, both of those are wrong. If you're pro-choice, you're not a Christian. If you're pro-life, you're not a Christian. It makes you wonder why people don't want to come to church, right? I'm glad there's not a height requirement. You have to be this big to get into the kingdom of God. (laughs) (laughs) So legalism in the church can be described basically as anything that goes above and beyond faith in Christ for salvation. Legalism can be defined as anything that goes above and beyond faith in Christ for salvation. Anything. So in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, it reads like this. It says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, I love the way this says this, had no small dissension and dispute with them, that means they had a knockdown drag out. Just want to point that out. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the believers. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. And here we go again. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose... Now, these are Pharisees who believed in Christ, okay? 
You've got to understand what people were talking about. They rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, again, that was a big shouting match inside the, inside the room, basically. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. First thing to understand here is that legalism is not the same as being submissive to authority. Legalists like to try to put it out as you're just being submissive to authority. If God has put us in authority and we think this is supposed to happen, then you're supposed to submit to us because we're in authority. That's not the way that works. Legalism wants power. Legalism wants influence. Authority is a way of serving, not a way of lording over. People who understand authority in Christ understand this. But there are two very different views in this passage. The first one is that the certain men were pushing on to others their belief that you need to be circumcised and follow the law in order to be saved. The second view is Paul and Barnabas. Now think about this. Paul and Barnabas just returned from a very lengthy mission trip where they brought the gospel to thousands of people around the nations. They saw God working in these uh, these people, in these churches. They watched this stuff happen. They could have easily stood up and said, who do, you think, who do you think you are telling us we don't know what the gospel message really is? Do you know that at Antioch, the Holy Spirit spoke among the midst of us, called us out with the very message that we brought them, and now you're questioning the Holy Spirit? They could have very easily done that, and they would have been, been actually pretty righteous doing it. But they didn't. They didn't. Because they were also submitted to an authority. And they said, you know what, we're not going to, basically, we're not going to settle this here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down to the apostles, and they're going to decide. Now, you think about this. They were willing to put themselves under the authority of the apostles, not knowing if they were going to agree with them. There's a tremendous amount of humility in that. One view is an outside force pushing their will on, uh, on those who exercise power. And the other is an inside force freely given to those who carry the burden of authority. Here's a cool thing. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 5, I want to show you this. Verses 17 through 20, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. That's a long time. Till heaven and earth pass away. One jot 
or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men, so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, listen to this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This sounds like Jesus just legitimized legalism. If you look at this, it looks like Jesus is saying, enforce the law. But that's actually not what he's saying at all. If you go through the entire law of the Old Testament, what you find out very, very quickly is that there's no way Jesus could have been talking about the entire breadth of the law. It's too big. There's civil law. There's legal law. There's, there, there's relationship law between landowners and property owners and, and, and how to deal with criminals and things like that. There's no way Jesus could have been talking about that. There's only one set of laws that Jesus could have been talking about, and that's the law of sin and atonement. That there must be a blood sacrifice to pay for the sin of the individual. That's the law Jesus came to fulfill, and he's saying that until the day really that he, wrote, that he rises, that is still in place. So you haven't gotten out of it yet. So you follow the law until the appointed time. But he says your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. This is really difficult because in these days, it was the scribes and the Pharisees that were actually living according to the law their opinion of them according, living according to the law. Jesus says we have to go above and beyond that. How do you do that? How do you go above and beyond the experts? Like these were the guys. They were the ones who the woman caught in adultery, brought before Jesus. They were the ones standing there saying, this woman should die according to the law. We have to exceed the righteousness of them. They're willing to pull sin into the public square and make it known. Can you imagine that one today? Every dirty little thing that you do is brought out in the public square. This person? <laughs> no. No. But that's what they did. And naturally, Jesus said, yes, she's scantily clad stoner. That's not what he said, is it? Those of you who are without sin, please cast the first stone. And they all turned into Homer Simpson. Because they knew Jesus had them. Our righteousness, now you got to think about this. Our righteousness has to exceed have to. You see, legalists have this view of have to. Faith has the view of get to. Get to is better than have to. See, there's an interesting thing about humans. When we look at rules, when you look at a set of rules, a set of standards, the, the minimum possible standards, we tend to, if we don't want to go there, we'll live up to the minimum possible standard. What is the least I can do and still make it? Now, any of you who have been employers or managers, you understand that you have employees that are exactly like this. 
what is the least I can do and keep my job? And those are usually the people who complain the most when it comes raise time because they don't get a raise. And they say things here like, I'm almost always on time and usually in uniform. Good for you for doing nothing extra. But we tend to do that. Now, imagine if we had a list of things. Here's what you do to get into heaven. You know what we're going to (laughs) do? Exactly that. And that's it. But our righteousness is supposed to exceed that. Which means that list is just the starting point. We're to go above and beyond it. Here's a couple of modern examples of legalism in the church today. These are churches that I have encountered. These are churches that I could easily name and tell you where they are, and I'm not going to. But I do know of churches that when you walk in, ladies, if they feel your shirt is cut too low, they will provide you with a t-shirt that's about the size of a small hot air balloon. But it's got a tight neckline. If your skirt's too short, they will provide you with one. And then they'll let you know, if you're going to come back, please make sure you're covered appropriately, according to their standards. Ladies, how many of you are going back? <laughs> you're like, eh, no, I'm not, even, I'm not even taking the shirt. I'm gone. I'm already gone. Guys, if your children are not appropriately disciplined, they may provide you with a stick that might even have rod of discipline engraved on the front of it. And yes, I know of people who have gotten those. I have a box of them in the back. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Parents, how are you feeling about that? Feeling a little judged? As you're walking out of the church carrying the rod and everyone knows what it is, obviously they don't discipline their children. They will now. Better to hit them with the end. It doesn't flex as much, right? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Some of you are thinking, I wish parents would use more of those. You know, two by four with a nail in it. Whatever. You know, it's all, it's, it all depends on what you're doing. <laughs> I would just appreciate it if parents would just stop saying things like, one more time. Okay, you've said that nine times. I like the parents that the kids are misbehaving, and they they say things like, we talked about this in the car. Snag out the door. The kid usually gets it by the time they're 20. (laughs) These types of people don't see the teaching of Scripture as something just to be taught and then willingly applied by the individual. They see the teaching of Scripture as something that is supposed to be enforced by the leadership. That's what these people are doing. Paul and Barnabas are confronted by people who are saying, not only are you supposed to teach us, you're supposed to enforce it to the people that are around you. To the letter. This is the way this is supposed to work. God has a plan, and that plan is bigger than just your mindset. So to get an idea of kind of how this, what they're talking about, I thought this might work. So if this is your life, Jesus says, have faith in me, and you gain entrance into heaven. That's the requirement. 
Now, here's something interesting. When it comes to having faith in Christ, you cannot have faith in Christ and then not do what he says. Because if you actually claim to have faith in Christ and then not do what he says, you actually don't have faith in Christ because the word says we're supposed to live according to his teachings. So if we have faith in it, then we will follow it. See, so faith and obedience are actually symbiotic in nature. You cannot pull them apart. If you don't do what you believe, then the reality is you don't believe it. If I believe, if I put a key in a light socket, if I believe that I'm going to get electrocuted and I do it anyway, I'm either really stupid and I'll never do it again. Twice was my limit. (laughs) I shorted out my growth hormones. Uh, Or I didn't believe it to begin with. That's the reality. So when Jesus says, do this, and you're one of, one of mine, we don't believe that. So what the scribes and the Pharisees are saying, is they're saying that you need to follow the law of Moses and believe in Jesus. So let me help you understand what this means. There are 613 laws in the Jewish Old Testament. Now, before you wonder, yes, I counted out 613 of these delicious peanut butter M&M's. And they're mine. Okay? I don't want to go all golem on you, but, you know, my precious. (laughs) (laughs) So now, I want you to think about this. They're saying that this isn't enough. You need this. You need all 613 of these laws and Jesus. Jesus isn't enough. Jesus says, I am enough. I am all you will ever need. I am all anyone will ever need. But they're saying that this has to be added. And what comes worse is today, we have other parts of the church that are saying, not only do you got to get in bed with the law, you need to dress right, you need to talk right, you need to drink the right stuff, You need to watch the right movies. You need to drive a certain car. You need to have kids that go to the right school. You need to make sure that, you know, you're not drinking Mountain Dew because everyone knows Mountain Dew is a sin. So, you know, and heaven forbid you drink a jolt. And if you drink a Red Bull, you're just going straight to hell. You know, it's just, it's just, just, just the way this works. And so we have all of this stuff. We got all of these laws. And today we just continually add and add and add and add and add. I wonder if they'll fit. That was a total accident, by the way. Because they're saying that Jesus isn't enough. Now, you tell me, which would you rather have? Don't think of the M&Ms. Okay. Yeah. Would you rather stand before God and have Jesus be your advocate? Or you have to stand before God and tell him you agreed and obeyed all the following? Because this is a mistake we make. We think that if we get our life in order like this, 
obviously this is unnecessary. You see, if I live a good life, I don't swear, I've never murdered anybody, I drive the speed limit, I help old ladies, right? I'm kind to my wife, I'm good to my kids, we've got a good life, I've done every, I've been a good father, I've been a good husband, I'm a good citizen, of course I'm going to heaven, look how good of a person I am. But you're missing this. You're missing the one thing that makes the difference. You're missing Christ and him crucified on your behalf. We get so tied up in the nonsense of our life that we forget to believe and follow Christ. We become legalists of our own making thinking that we have lived up to our own standards, and therefore I am right with God. And God is saying, you may have cast out demons, you may have performed miracles, you may have done amazing things in my name, but I don't know you. Matthew seven twenty two, I believe. I don't know you. You may have done a lot of things in my name because my name has power, but I don't know who you are. You've never submitted to the lordship of Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. Functioning in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, doing things for God, preaching, going on mission trips. Those are all great, but they're useless without the presence of God in your life, without a knowledge of the saving Christ, the one who died on the cross, rose from the grave, who created a new spirit in us, John 3, you cannot be saved unless the spirit is reborn in you. This is salvation. This is a knowledge between creator and creation. None of these things matter if Christ is not the foundation of them all. You can get all of this legalist stuff right in your life and still miss the mark. It's better to simply have Christ and struggle with the law than it is to have the law and not have Christ. Let me help you out with something. If you master all of this and you claim to be sinless in your life, you still don't get into heaven because your spirit is not reborn. It is only the presence of the risen Lord in our lives that that brings rebirth to the Spirit, which grants us salvation. We can have all of this stuff in our life and claim that we're sinless. And maybe, you know what? Maybe we were really good. Still missed it. Or we can have Christ in our life and struggle with sin our whole life. You can re-repent every day. I've known people who have gotten saved every Sunday for years. And this time they mean it. This time it's for real. ah, I fell again. This is why the road to heaven is bumpy. Because we fall. The, The difference is I know where I'm going. God would rather have people who struggle with sin and never actually get their life right, but who know him and who fellowship with him and who connect with him than have people who think they have their life together and don't know him at all. That's the difference. That's the difference.
James said it best, Acts 15, 18 through 19. Known to God from eternity are, his, are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. What he's saying is it would be unfair and unrighteous and wrong of us to impose things on people accepting Christ that have nothing to do with the acceptance of Christ. It would be wrong of us to do it. It was wrong before, it's wrong now. It was wrong then, it's wrong today. This is why when I teach, if I come over to your house, here's, here's a real simple thing. If I come over to your house and heaven forbid you have a wine bottle on the counter, I'm going to pass out. I'm just saying, ah! <laughs> no, if you have a wine bottle on the counter, I'm not going to say anything. If you have a wine box on the counter, I will pass out. I'm just saying. If you have beer in your refrigerator, what am I going to do, chastise you? I ran a microbrewery for three years. Been in the restaurant business for almost 20. I was good at it. For a good portion of my Christian life, half of my job was drinking on a regular basis. I had to for my job. You have to stay up to date on these things. I never allowed myself to get drunk because the Bible says drunk people are stupid. Beer is a brawler and wine is a mocker. But you see, it's not the alcohol that makes you wrong. It's not the alcohol that actually creates the problem. It's the devotion to it that creates the problem. Drugs are the same way. The drug by itself is irrelevant. It's our dedication to it. We give it authority in our lives. You want to know why? Because we think this is what we're supposed to do. We think we can do it. I can get my life in order. Yes, you can, but I would bring him with you. This is what we need before this matters. Don't become your own worst enemy. Trust in God. (laughs) As my old mentor used to say, trust in God. Trust in Jesus. He's got it all under control. This is where our faith is. This is where our faith is supposed to. I'm looking at this going, I want some of these right now. I just, I just. Actually, I want to separate them by color. <laughs> Sorry. It's just it's a thing. It's a, some of you are going, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's too many greens down here in the corner. Um, all the OCD people in the room were like, I was fine till he mentioned it. <laughs> This is what we need. This is what our focus is on. This is the goal. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Don't fool yourself into, a follow, into following a set of guidelines that don't bring you closer to God. Commit yourself to a relationship and let that relationship con, uh, uh, change your behavior. Not the other way around. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us as we walk out this life. We ask you to be with us as we move along this journey, Lord, that we would begin our journey exactly where you ask us to begin it, with a relationship with you. And Father, we would not fall into the trap of these extra unnecessary requirements for our salvation. Our salvation is dependent on you and you alone. Help us to trust you and to follow your word. That's hard enough. Let you be the voice that brings us into righteousness. Let you be the voice that corrects our behavior as we learn to follow and trust in you. Father, we turn this life over to you and we say, walk with us. Walk with us. 
Jesus' precious name. Amen.